Would you like to live a happier, healthier, and more fulfilled life? Cultures from all over our planet have been addressing that concern for thousands of years, and their answers can help you in your life today. Welcome to the sweet spot where healing, spirituality, and culture meet. Join anthropologist and healer Robert Better as he introduces you to healing and spirituality in world cultures. Here's the host of your show, Robert Better. Hi, everybody. It's Bob Vetter here. Before we get started, and just in case you have to get off this podcast early, if you'd like to get underway with your own healing and clear away any energetic blockages, you can get on a free call with me. Go to HealWithBob.com. Hello, listeners. I'm here today for part two of my interview with Nina Rao. And Nina yesterday told us so much about her background, so much about this emerging story of yoga and spirituality that goes beyond what people may think of today as yoga as strictly a physical discipline. And we really had a chance to start to learn about the connection between yogic practice and chanting and what, the, what one has to do with the other. And today we're going to delve into that much, much more deeply. So Nina, welcome back to our show. So happy to be here. Thanks. So today I was hoping that we could find out a little bit about some of the most influential teachers to you and the kind of messages that they have and some ideas about how the rest of us might be able to use some of these principles in our everyday life. So Nina, can you tell us a little bit about who influenced you the most? You know, it's such a tough question. As I start thinking about that, it's literally a a tree, you know, that just keeps growing because you think about one point in your life and how did you get to that point? Oh, so-and-so put me in that direction. So, you know, everybody is a teacher to that degree. But um, let me try to narrow it down a little bit. I think I explained to you that um, I first got reacquainted with chanting in, as, a, as an adult when I met Krishnadas back in 1996. And um, for he awakened those seeds that were already within me. And that could be just because of my Indian background or um, also there's plenty of Westerners with the same samskaras, you know, from, from what other uh, previous life who are equally familiar and interested in India. And um, just like we talked about how you and the rest of these people went over to India at a very early age. So I would have to say that my first spiritual teacher in this part of my life was certainly Krishnadas and continues to be so. I like to think of him using the word teacher is an awkward word for him because he doesn't consider himself a teacher. I like to think of him as an elder, you know, somebody who's been on the path a little longer than me, has more life experience than I do. And the way in which he talks about spiritual practice, I find very helpful for integrating into my own daily life. Because that was the one thing that wasn't happening when I was as before I met Krishnadas, while I knew about Indian practices and I was drawn to them, I couldn't see how the pieces fit together. 
So the chanting makes me feel, feel good and I feel spacious and open-hearted. But how is that affecting me the next minute when something happens and I start, you know, fretting or having anxiety about something? I couldn't connect the two things. And it really took um, hearing the teachings from someone like Krishnadas and then also from Ramdas. As a result of meeting Krishnadas, I met Ramdas as well, who had had his stroke at that point. And when he first started to speak, I was feeling the profundity in his silence, you know, in between the words that he could actually say at the time. But the other thing that happened, Bob, was that Krishnadas talked a lot about his guru, Neem Karoli Baba. And that's something that my family never had. We never had a family guru, so to speak. A lot of families in India will. They'll have a lineage of some of a guru that they've that the generations have come through. But we didn't have that. And so I was amazed that there was this being that Krishnadas could talk about, who he said he felt unconditional love with or from or to, which however you want to talk about it. And that to me felt precious and I really wanted that. And uh, when I started talking to him though, I understood that Neem Karoli Baba Maharaji had already left the body in 1973. So now what was I gonna do? And when I talked to him about that, he said, oh, the guru is not outside of you. The guru is inside you. And you know, all that sounds like, um, unbelievable, except now I actually absolutely do believe him. And I say that to people all the time as well. But for me at that time, I felt like I needed to connect back to India and again, reroute myself in where I came from. Um, though I'm, you know, my family's from South India, I wanted to go to the temple where Neem Karoli Baba was, which is up in the foothills of the Himalayas. So when I went there, uh, finally, he said to me, Krishna said to me, he said, when you go, you will meet a being named Sri Siddhima. She's a woman. And she was with Maharaji and took care of him for 40 years. And since he left the body in 1973, she's been taking care of the temples and you should meet her. So I was very, very excited because I thought, oh, here is someone who could potentially be my guru. Like I really had this idea that I was going to find my guru. And the truth is, you know, she had already found me because I reached there and I met her. But when I met her, it wasn't an explosion of stars and rainbows or anything like that. I met her and the feeling I felt was the same feeling I felt when I heard Krishna sing Sri Ram Jai Ram the first time. It's the same feeling I felt when I chanted with my grandfather. And the truth is, there are many other moments in my life under other circumstances where I've also felt that, just a natural self sense of well-being that arises from inside. And everybody has that. It's not just me. We all do. We just have to remember that we have those moments. But the course of my life was such that I attached myself to Siddhima. 
because she showed me that she would be my guide. I saw that very clearly. She would be my spiritual mother and be my guide. And so since I met her in 1998, I went back every year to be with her for just very little moments of time. I, you know, cause I had my travel business. I was traveling to Africa and India and had clients. And then ultimately I also got married and had a, a child, but I took her with me. So my daughter has actually grown up with Siddhima over time. And um, the last year that Siddhima was alive, which was 2017, uh, we were able to see her together. My daughter and I went together to have her darshan, and then she left the body that December. So for me, I felt completely turned toward her light. And it's not that I was able to call her up and say, you know, Ma, this is happening and can you help me with this? And there was no daily instruction of any kind. It's just when I went to see her, I felt like I was in the lap of the great mother. There's no other way to describe it. And even when I say these words, it's hard to really understand the feeling. But she has been and continues to be my guide my guru, my spiritual heart, the one I can trust, and the one who sits inside my heart. Can you explain a little bit about how it is that a guru can still be with you after they've transitioned out of this world and into the next world? I wish I could answer you in a way that would satisfy everybody. I don't know the answer to that question, except that my understanding from all the great teachers and whatever reading I might have done is that the guru is with us anyway. And if we need to have a relationship with a guru that manifests in a physical form, that guru will find us. But it's not necessary for everybody to have a guru and have an experience with a guru in the body. I say this to people all the time. I mean, I read books about other saints. You know, we were talking earlier about Our Lady of Guadalupe. You know, I, I walked into the chapel in New Mexico. I, I mean, sorry, in Mexico City. And I was struck in the same way. You know, and I, I, I don't know how to explain it. And when I look back on my life now, I realize that as a young child, when we lived in Thailand and we went to the temples, you know, for sightseeing, quote unquote, I would walk in there and be completely moved by these beautiful statues of the Buddha in this exquisite pose and the sanctity of the place. Only to find now in my later years, I'm very interested in Tibetan Buddhism. And I've spent time, you know, uh, seeing as many teachers as I can, you know, from right from the top, from His Holiness the Dalai Lama to the 17th Karmapa, to other younger teachers who are out and about, like Sukhni Rinpoche, Mingyo Rinpoche, Lama Sultra Malioni, who is in, um, in um, Paramandala in Colorado. But also just reading. And so I, I feel that, the guru lives in the hearts 
of the disciples who were with these gurus. So you talk to those people or you hear their talks about their gurus and you have the same experience if that's what's meant to be. Or you read, you know, I keep joking about you know, this coronavirus quarantine time, how, how much less money I spend because I'm not going out anywhere. But the one thing I've spent money on is books. I have like stacks of, I just keep buying things, which I hope I'm going to read soon. You and me both. Right? <laughs> exactly. I'm not also an ebook reader, unfortunately. I like my paper books, so I've got paper books everywhere. So to know the ways of the guru, I think is impossible for us. But I understand from my own inner understanding that she hasn't left me. And she never wasn't with me in the first place. So I think that's really what I'm getting at is um, I, I, I'm not so much asking for a technical mm -hmm. explanation of how it is that a guru can transcend death. I'm really more asking it from your own personal experience. Mm -hmm. In what way do you experience her? I mean, do you, does she come to you in, her, in your dreams? Do you have conversations with her? What, in, in what way are you able to maintain that contact even beyond the veil of death. Right. It's interesting. If you ask someone who's been with Siddhima and had one darshan with her just once, they might answer in the same way. Um, I was fortunate to see her over 20 years and off and on, you know, see her for a week, a couple of days, only sometimes, sometimes a month. And the thing is, she didn't actually teach anything, you know, other than she would just be there for us. The one thing that she said constantly, constantly was, you must have a practice. You must develop a spiritual practice. You must stay with it and stick with it. She was very, very clear about that. And she said, whatever is going on in your life, if you're sad, you're angry, you're happy, you want to celebrate, you want to complain, take it to the feet of the guru. And she never talked about herself. She always talked about the guru as Neem Karoli Baba. She would say, take it to Maharaji, take it to Hanuman, take it to the Devi, whatever that is for you. And, you know, there's a beautiful song, leave it there, take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. It's, it's, it's a beautiful old gospel song. It's, that's all she talked about is that, you know, the more we hang on to our, um, these, ob these obscurations, the tighter, it's, the harder it is going to be able to let go of it so that we can enter into the quieter, calm space. And she was a model of that. She was always loving so understanding with all our craziness and all the things that we went to her with. She was super clear. That was the other thing. She was just was so clear. You asked her anything and she was without a doubt, simple answer, very clear. I, and I, I think back to some of the teachers that I've had over my lifetime that yeah. have been the most influential. And I, I kind of feel the same way yeah. that, it wasn't even anything necessarily they said, but there was something about their presence 
that stayed with me. Absolutely. Even if I couldn't quote one sentence that they said, exactly. you know, I can think back to the, the way that I was moved yeah. by simply being with them. And I, I, I sort of get that feeling from what you're describing. 100%. 100%. And those, that feeling that you had with your teachers and the, that feeling that other devotees will have with their gurus when they write about it or they talk about it, you know, it will it'll invoke those same feelings in you. And so this is where chanting comes in because chanting is part of what they call the bhakti yoga path. Bhakti meaning devotion. And in India, it's a very colorful path. You know, there are, if you follow in the, whether it's Islam or it's Tibetan Buddhism or it's Hinduism or whichever way you want, whichever one of those religions, if you want to call it that, I mean, I don't call myself a Hindu, but I guess I am. Um, there is a myriad ways to connect, mm. you know, with this feeling of the divine. It could be whatever name of God, so to speak, that you want to repeat, whatever visual manifestation of them that you want to worship. So that could range from the local village goddess of the rice plantation because there is that, you know, all the way up to Kali. Whatever level you want to connect with the goddess, she's there. You want to connect with the playful aspect of Vishnu in his manifestation as Sri Krishna. You've got Krishna as a child. You've got him as a cowherd. And then you have him as a king. You know, there's just so many, there's just a multitude of ways. And then there are these amazing sacred stories as well, like the Mahabharata and the Ramayana and Srimad Bhagavatam and Devi Bhagavatam. I mean, it's just endless, you know. Well, I mean, to me, what I love about the about bhakti yoga is that devotional aspect, is the fact that we as human beings can engage our emotions in it. And why you, do you think that is, though? You, why, why do you think that is? Well, I, what I think is that, that as human beings, we, we have the, these emotions that are part of who we are. And there's one side of spirituality that, that almost looks at the emotions as an enemy. And that, that through meditative practice, that maybe we can get to a point where we don't have emotions. And while I, I value the importance of meditation, that, that's not my point of view. My, my point of view is that if we can engage our emotions instead and use them as a part of our spiritual practice, it, we have so much more of a, that very grounded human energy and fuel that we put into everything that we do. Right. That to me, that's more important than, than the thought behind it, the, the intellectual capacity to think in deep ways when we feel something in our gut. And, you know, that's, something that I, that I feel when I hear devotional music, that it moves something deep inside of me. And that's what you can trust, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I, Maybe this would be a great opportunity for me to ask you as a special favor to me and our listeners, yeah. if you'd share a little bit of devotional music with us. 
<laughs> well, one of the ways in which we can engage in de devotional music is to sing a mantra. So a mantra could be anything like Om Namah Shivaya, Shri Ram, Jai Ram, Jai Jai Ram. It could be as simple as Jai Ma, which is victory to the goddess. Or it could be the mantra that the Beatles made famous. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. So they're all beautiful. Um, there's infinite number of melodies that go along with these chants as well. Um, so I'll just sing a couple of lines of a very simple mantra, which is um, Sita Ram. Okay, so Sita is the feminine aspect of Ram. Ram is considered the manifestation of Vishnu. If we can even understand what all these things mean, it almost doesn't matter because the potency of the practice is in the repetition of the name. You don't even have to know anything behind it. So you could sing something like this. Sita Sita Ram Sita Ram Sita Ram Sita Sita Ram Sita Ram Sita Ram Sita Sita Ram Sita Ram Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Nina. I think that's a perfect time for us to close out this session. We still have one remaining, and I have so many more questions to ask you. So thank you again for being with us today. Thank you. Thanks, Bob. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you're a very spiritual person who just needs a little help clearing away what's been holding you back, through some relatively quick healing techniques, get on my calendar for a free call. Go to HealWithBob.com. This has been Healing and Spirituality in World Cultures with Robert Vetter. Thanks for listening. Please rate, subscribe, and share with everyone you know who might benefit from these messages. Until next time, remember, be kind and loving to yourself and others. Together, we can heal ourselves and help build a better world.